0: Imagine what it would be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now here's your host for this week, Carlene Cannon. Welcome, Larger Story Family, to the Relational Spirituality Podcast, where we talk about what it means to belong to God and how that's the only thing that enables us to become who He created us to be so that we can be truly known. I'm Carlene Cannon. I'm your host today, and joining me today is one of my very favorite people, my son, Nick Cannon. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then we're just going to jump right in because he's got places to go and things to do. Nick is a student at Furman University in, South, in Greenville, South Carolina, where he plays football. He is also an up-and-coming photographer and filmmaker. He just spent a few days in Yellowstone in Wyoming doing some marketing videos for an adventure um, retailer there. And he's about to release his very first documentary, the premieres, in a couple of weeks. So we're really excited about that. Nick is also a great friend and brother, but I think the thing that I love the most is that he is truly becoming a man after God's own heart. And you'll hear that today as we as we talk about what it's been like for him in this last year to uh, belong to God, to become who he's created to be and to, and to be known by those of us who love him and by his creator. So thank you, Nick, for joining us. Anything you'd like to say before we jump in?
1: Nope. I'm excited to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's a big deal to come on something, a podcast like this and talk to your mom in front of whoever's listening. And so I really appreciate your willingness to do that. So I wanted to just ask a couple of questions about what it was like for you growing up in our house where we had taken some of the things we had learned from Larry Crabb and his ministry and what it meant to really talk deeply, to have these conversations that matter, to kind of go below the surface intentionally. How did you experience that? The good, the bad, the ugly? You know, what was it like to grow up in that environment?
1: I think looking back on it, I'm I'm much more grateful for it than I was maybe in the moment of of a lot of it. <laughs> Sometimes being a kid being asked these deep questions about your feelings when you're 13 and <laughs> angry at your brother aren't isn't the best thing ever, but looking back on it, I now do feel like I have a much better, a more deeper understanding of myself and my ability to, but what my ability to like know what I'm feeling and then how to articulate that and how to do best deal with that but then also i feel like i have a much better ability to talk to other people and like just you do pick up on little things and like the ability to ask questions the ability to be intentional the ability to get deeper with another person i think now looking back is a very valuable skill and something that i think i just am pretty good at just because it was such a part of my growing up, I guess.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I think there's certainly a confidence that comes in feeling like you have some skill or capacity to engage deeply with another person, but also wonder if there's something beyond just the skill. There's like some courage or a sense of the Importance and necessity, the purpose of those kinds of deeper conversations that make it something that you've chosen to do with your peers and your friends. Even in really difficult situations, like what what is it that gives you the willingness to step into something that's really hard?
1: I think... I think you see the value in it. I think you realize that a lot of people are often confused on how they're feeling. I think they're believing lies, they're overwhelmed by the way of the world or or whatever. And a a few questions, a deep conversation can really, first off, show them that you care about them and that you're you're invested in their like being, but also can often open them up to a totally new way of thinking or reveal to them mm-hmm. lies that they're believing or things that they're falling into when they don't even know they are. Yeah. And usually, it's like not you discovering it for them, but helping them discover it for themselves. I guess. I yeah,
0: feel. I like that. What what is the power of helping someone discover something like that for themselves as opposed to just being told.
1: I think then it sticks. I think then it's, then it's you or like, then it's like they've internalized and processed it for themselves rather than you just preaching at them. You know, like you might have somebody that's dealing with anger or something is pretty obvious, but until they realize for themselves that it's a problem, it does not matter how much you tell them it's a problem they have to kind of come to the conclusion that it's a problem and want to fix it and then you can kind of help them on that path, I guess.
0: Yeah. So what as you talk to people who are in your season of life and sort of doing life with you there at Furman, what are some of the things that you're that you and your peers are really struggling with and grappling with just in the day to day life of being a student, being an athlete you know, trying to get to
1: graduation. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of different things. There's a whole range of things that you deal with in college. I think a lot of people, though, like often feel kind of burnt out, overwhelmed, mm-hmm. kind of at the end of themselves, tired, busy beyond what they can handle. I feel like that's the common stuff. You know, and then you have all the things in between people who deal with loss or heartbreak or whatever else that comes in this season of life as you as you start to become really on your own an adult. But I do think just like anxiety and mental health and like all of that stuff is so prevalent in our generation now. And you see that in just people being tired, busy, overwhelmed, like, you know, and stuff. So I think that's definitely very common.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today. I found it really kind of God. We were scheduled to have this conversation several weeks ago, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, we're in a season at Larger Story. We're talking about Larry Crabb's book, *The Pressure's Off*, and so I knew some of you know what you had been dealing with over the last year, and wanted to to chat with you a little bit about what the pressure has been like and how you've experienced God in that time. And then we were scheduled to talk and then you had an opportunity to speak at FCA. And I just found it intriguing that the things you chose to talk about at FCA when you were on stage and sharing with your peers were very much aligned with the things I wanted to talk to you about on this podcast. So it was great for me to get to hear what was on your heart and to hear you express that. And I just wanted to follow up on some of the things that you said in that talk. And we'll be linking that talk in the show notes so that if you want to those of you who are listening want to go hear what Nick shared with his with his group at FCA at Furman, you can do that. But you did talk a lot about anxiety and that, you know, like like a lot of our feelings, it's some sort of a Signal that tells us there's something wrong. There's something going wrong inside. And Larry talks about in his book that there's pressure that we all live with, a pressure that leads to death. And so I know you've experienced, and I mean death of your soul, your internal world. I know you've experienced a difficult year of pressure and pain. And you shared some of that in your talk. And so I was just wondering if you could share a little bit with us about how that realization of um, anxiety as a signal, you know, what that had been like for you and and what that had sort of pointed out to you and how you responded to it.
1: I think I often accepted anxiety as a part of life, a day-to-day thing that just is, a consequence of being in college, a consequence of being an athlete. And I, I've never struggled super intensely with anxiety or with mental health, like to a, a level of needing medication or anything like that. But I think just common social anxiety and stuff. But it's always more honestly been performance anxiety and especially related to sports, I think. It's not. It's less about this social being around people. It's more about what my coach thinks about me or yeah. doing well at practice or, you know, performing well in school, like something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just like accepted. You know, people will say if you're not nervous, you don't care, which I think has some validity to it. But often then you're just like, whatever, I'm supposed to be nervous um, or I'm supposed to just be have a pit in my stomach every time or whatever. And so I think there's like a healthy level of nervousness, but then there's like the crippling level where you are now, your performance, your performance is being affected, your ability to relate to people is being affected, your ability to be, good, be a good teammate is affected because you're so worried about yourself that you're hoping your teammate does bad. And so you're almost celebrating their failures because it makes you look better and stuff like that. And then, then you start to realize like, okay, something's wrong. And the anxiety is different, right? Because it's like, it's one thing to have a pit in your stomach right before a game. But it's like, if you're sitting in class and practice is six hours away and you're nervous about it, then it's like, mm-hmm. okay, now this is affecting my daily life. Yeah. And so to kind of realize that, like, that is your soul's way of telling you something's wrong yeah. in a way, and that it's not just something to be lived with. It's something that can be changed. Mm-hmm been affected and so I think that was an important realization of like don't just live with it but let it be those like let those feelings tell you something like let that's your body or your soul communicating to you some type of message that there's fixes to that there's things that you can go about that will that will change the way that you're experiencing that feeling yeah. and so i think that was important understanding and realization for me because it also sucks to live that way
0: yeah it's like your like your internal world saying hey i need an intervention here and you can just keep ignoring it but it doesn't really resolve the the things that are going on and yeah and in that pressure becomes an energy that maybe continues to drive you, but it doesn't really, as you were saying, it doesn't really result in good relationships or even often a good performance because it it's crippling, I think is the word you used. It's actually harmful. So I think one of the things you said that I that struck me in your in your talk the other night was that the, professor, the pressure to perform and how it impacts your identity, and you made the quip, you know, you are what you put on tape. And I know that's a particular expression for an athlete, but I think we all, especially in this age of social media, you know, are very concerned about the image we're projecting or kind of what we're putting on tape, if you will. Um, how did that pressure and and that experience for how is it impacting your identity? Like the, the core of who Nick is, how is it making you think about yourself?
1: Yeah, I think it, 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 it's a reduction of identity. It reduces you down to your result, your product and your product is practice. Your product is what you do in a game. And so it, it, it really reduces you down to the result of your performance yeah. and so that could be a job that could be in school that could be obviously like as an athlete yeah. that could be that could be anything i mean that could be in a relationship that could be as a as a mom or dad like whatever the result is like right. there's whatever we do a result is produced and so if your identity is in that result then you're like reducing yourself down to that. And then therefore, if it goes bad, it's either if it goes bad or good, it's telling you like what you're worth. Mm -hmm. And that's just like an impossible thing, because so many situations and things are out of our control. And so when it becomes identity, right, like it's not it's supposed to be important, we're supposed to run the race well like all of that but it's once you put your identity in it and it becomes your worth or who you are is the result of your work or your performance i just feel like then not only do you miss like what god has for you not only do you miss the the beauty that comes with relationship with him but you also just miss the fullness of who you could be right and so now you're not only are you you know harmed in a you know, you feel bad and whatever. It also just is like, yeah. you're not going to perform to the highest highest like capability that you have because you're so caught up in the result. Mm-hmm. And so You're not free to actually live to a full experience because fear, anxiety, all of these things are like s- crippling you and, and honestly making you probably hold back in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really astute that the obsession with our performance the the hyper focus on our performance is actually reducing us i think that's that's a really important thought and i appreciate the way you articulated how that actually happens and what that feels like and you know it one of the things i love about this conversation like i said is it dovetails so nicely with the book we've been talking about larry talks about that as we have these a strategies to produce these B in outcomes. And when we're so focused on that equation of A, you know, leads to B, that we're, we're actually in bondage to that, you know, we then become in bondage to our performance. And I think that's what you were just articulating so well, is that the bondage then just reduces us and makes us so much less than who God created us to be, calls us to be, you know, invites us to be. And so one of the things you talked about the other night was how what you called the most important discovery we can make, and you said that that was knowing the unconditional love of God. And we sort of touched on that, or you touched on that and what you just talked about, but can you unpack that a little more? Like, not only what that means, but how, what that was like for you this year to discover God's love. In yeah. the middle of your difficulties,
1: uh-huh yeah, I think the the idea of love, for me, often, I think there was like lies that I would believe about about God that I think in a lot of times, like or in a lot of ways like almost came from like a biblical understanding of the detrimental cost of sin. And so I think for me, there was like a little bit of the lies I believe in, I felt like we're almost backed by truth. And I think in a way they're backed by half a truth in the sense that like what we do does matter. Our moral responsibility is a real thing. How we live our lives as Christians is to the utmost importance, but it doesn't change. It doesn't change identity. It doesn't change how God looks at you. It doesn't change the love of God. And I think that's like an important stumbling block that a lot of people probably get affected with Yeah. because you know that, like I knew that a lot of the love of God, I heard the word unconditional a million times. I could have given you a great five sentence paragraph on why, what God's love was, yeah. but I didn't believe it fully or I didn't, because there was other things that were kind of masking that. And so like, Often, like, believing the lie that, like, my obedience Mm -hmm. strengthens and weakens the love of God Mm -hmm. or that, like, God is just, like, disappointed all the time in me or, like, his love is infected with disappointment. Yeah, And so realizing, like, Romans 8, 1, therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, like, is, Mm -hmm. is not, like hyperbole it's not like you know something where they're they're exaggerating like it's no condemnation it's not less condemnation or a little bit of condemnation and so the idea that that Christ's holiness is like imparted onto us through the Holy Spirit and like the theology of like what happens when we become a Christian what happens when we become a new new like creation and what that love is 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 God can look at us in a new way that wasn't possible before. Mm-hmm. That's through the power of the cross. Yeah, and then because of that, you first and and the importance of it is that like to discover that is the most important discovery to to fully mm-hmm. um believe that the love of God is is true is like. Before faith is, is going to be powerful, you first have to trust in the character of the God that you're praying to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like in First John talks about like we love because he first loved us. And like our only capability, our only pa- like ability to love or to have peace or joy or any of those things are first anchored in like a, a, a relationship and an intimacy with that love of, of God and stuff. And so I think that's why it's like that in that discovery is like has to be first. And it's like a discovery that's almost, you almost have to do it over and over again. Like you have to fight yourself because everything's telling you that God doesn't love you or that you're not lovable or that you don't need Him, or whatever. And so it's like, it's putting him back on the throne every day. But remembering that like, you know, his greatest love is always poured out even in our like most miserable times and stuff. And so I think it's just realizing that, like God found a way, God made a way to make us holy, to rise us to the standard that has absolutely nothing to do with our performance. Mm-hmm. And that's like the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of the gospel because it has nothing to do with our our capability. Our identity can't change based on what we do. Yeah. So, but it has to start there.
0: I know in my in my spiritual walk. There have been times where the things that I knew in my head sort of finally worked themselves in, permeated down into a knowing in my heart, like knowing in my being. And and I, I think when when I hear you say, you know, the most important discovery you can make, it sort of is a it it, it conveys that to me that there's a different kind of knowing than just the understanding sort of cognitively the theology if you will how did that new knowing what what was that experience like for you this year like how how did that actually come and start to absorb in you know deeper down
1: yeah i think discovery comes in practice
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think practice is the first step and for me practice was prayer learning what prayer meant learning the power of prayer mm-hmm. And and for me, I'm very, I'm very analytical, I'm very factual. And so I first honestly have to start with the theology and prove it to myself before I can step into practice, because then I like, I have to kind of defeat the lies on the front end before I can step into the practice. And so because then I'm just never going to fully believe it because in the back of my mind, I've got four arguments as to why it's not true. And so it's like, you need to fight that. Like it, and, and sometimes those lies are subconscious. So it takes time to kind of figure out, okay, what is it that I'm believing? Yeah. And for me, it was like writing things like that down and then arguing with myself, arguing with those things, and then being able to put that into practice of like, okay, now those lies, right? You brought the... You brought it to the light. Those lies now don't have a hold on me the same way they did before. And now you can step into a practice. And so <clears throat> I think the practice that I realized was missing in my life, at least that I didn't understand. Like, I think it was something I've always done, but like didn't fully understand the power of it or or why prayer mattered or even why it was necessary. If God is sovereign, why does he care what I pray for? And so like, those are some of the lies a little bit of like, or like, just things that you have to fight theologically first of like, okay, why does prayer matter? Why does God want to listen to us? And most of that has to do with what we talked about earlier of like our standing before God is what is, is Jesus now. Right. So like when we pray, it's like Jesus is praying like our, I don't remember as a new Testament theologian. I don't have to find his name, but he says something along the lines of like, when we pray in Jesus' name, we have the same authority and status before God that he did when he was on earth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, like, and you know, there's, there's stories in Exodus where Moses changed God's mind with prayer and with, with, with pleading before the Lord. And like, in theory, like we actually have a higher status than Moses would. And so it's just like, you know, you start to realize like, okay, this is why this matters. This is why it's important. And then you just, it's really the, the consistency of it, of realizing that, like, if you look at Jesus's lifestyle. One of the things I talked about was like in Luke's gospel, as Jesus yeah. gets more and more famous and busier and, and in higher demand, he kind of goes off to desolate places to pray more and more often. Yeah. It's like the busier he gets, the more he needs it, the more we need that source. And so realizing that in the times where the anxiety is the heaviest, where the busyness is the heaviest, where the stress is the highest, that's the times we need the the alone time with God, the the intimacy with the Lord the most. And so I feel like that's where you put that love into practice and that intimacy into practice. And like it's a two way relationship where just like in a marriage, if you just only talk to your husband or wife five minutes a day before bed, like they're probably not going to think too highly of you. It's like with God, it's the same way. It's like Mm -hmm. there's more time, like sacrificial time that you have to give to God that 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 changes the way you experience daily life. Um, And so I think developing like rhythms of prayer and, and consistency with prayer. And then honestly, using guided prayers like the Psalms or like mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer or, or whatever, like I think those, right, you kind of have to learn to reach, read sheet music before you can just yeah. pray spontaneously, <laughs> you know, like like jazz music. Like yeah. you have to learn to read sheet music before you can play proper jazz, like completely spontaneously, like the way they do. And so I think we often in the conservative evangelical world just are learned only to pray spontaneously, yeah. and you miss the the beauty of of the psalms and and the things where like Jesus gave us a pretty pretty awesome little like guide to prayer and the Lord's prayer and stuff. So yeah,
0: yeah. Well, what, one thing I remember, I, I love what you're talking about. Is just regular sort of rhythmic everyday communion with God. Yeah. And one thing I remember last fall when you're really struggling, what, what, let me just back up a little bit. One of the things about you, Nick, from like the the minute you could walk, pretty much you were running, you know, running has been your, your, your jam and it's been part of your identity, right? You, you've always been a runner. You've been fast. And I've always thought of that scene in Chariots of Fire where Eric Littles telling his sister that, you know, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And I watched you run for 20, almost 21 years now. And like, I can see the pleasure. And and, and it's, it's, you know, been something I've hoped for and prayed for that as you're doing something like that, that God's created you to do, that you feel his pleasure. But the last two years, running has become a source of pain and injury, you know, and, and maybe even fear, you know, last season where you were injured, but still playing and were are constantly concerned that, you know, one sure. wrong step would, you know, result in a career in, or a season ending injury again. What was that like where this thing that you'd kind of been created by God to do and you'd kind of done with him, you know, now created so much anxiety and, you know, the, the need to perform and yeah. And the pressure to perform just exacerbated the, the, I guess, and I don't want to put too many words in your mouth, but just the, the, the concern about running. How did you experience that whole thing with God? And how was that sort of everyday part of your life kind of absorbed into your spiritual life?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's like a similar thing to maybe like the thorn in the flesh for Paul. In the sense that, like, I realized that in my weakness, I was strong or like I had to be or like there was strength in the weakness. Mm -hmm. And when you have a constant nagging pain or or something that is. That is bothering you or that it feels like you're on the verge of injury. It really does keep you connected with God because you're you're praying through every route that I'm running. Every play is. Lord, I hope I make it through it. I hope the hamstring makes it through it. I hope I, I hope you keep it, hold it together because like, you're the only one that can in this yeah. point and it doesn't feel like it wants to. So I think it does become, at least for me, it became like a, a, a trust thing and a, a reliance and a dependence on God in that pain and also being smart. But But then, I think when you experience the freedom and when it when it when it healed and when there was the you kind of you overcome it, then it's like the heart of gratitude is way stronger because God's what got you through the first part, and so then therefore, God is the one that provided the healing and it had nothing to do with you, and you're not upset that it took so long, you're upset, like you're actually stoked about it, you know because of of the posture that you've had to basically take through the whole thing. And so it's not like, oh, finally, it's like, thank you. Like, I didn't deserve that, but you gave it to me. And now I can pray, play much freer. I can fully use the physical gifts that you've given me and the speed and all of that to the full extent and push my body and not worry about it. So I think it just depends on like how you walk through those things because then the healing process or when you experience the healing, when you get to the other side of it, then your heart is much better anchored than if you just like complained or had just super negative mindset or whatever, you're like whole way through it and just were angry with the Lord the whole time rather than... Mm -hmm being like, I was doing this for some reason, I'm going to just rely on him. And if it gets so bad that I do get an injury, like that's also yeah. in his control. And like, I will praise you in the storm, even if I don't want to. So yeah. I don't know. I think that the mindset is so helpful. But then at least from my story, when I walked and got to the other side of it and yeah. experienced the healing a little bit, it was like, a gratitude. And then you're like, okay, like I'm supposed to play to my full capability. And like, God put me here for a reason, obviously. Cause like, if you didn't want me to be here, you he could have easily made it happen. And so now I know I'm on the field for a purpose or I'm being able to do whatever I do. Yeah. And so it just like, I don't know, changes the way you think about it, I guess.
0: Yeah. I love that. One, one of the things you said that I think may come out of this experience, or at least it's connected to it. You, you, used this really powerful set of prepositions, which kudos for you on the grammar. I was impressed. But you made the statement of, let me see here, like what does it mean the, to, to, to feel the difference of moving from the unwavering smile of heaven instead of for the unwavering smile of heaven? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was really profound. And you, you use a series of things like obedience from the union with Christ instead of for union with Christ. And, but that from for juxtaposition felt really powerful to me. So, can you tell me a little bit about that and maybe how it's connected to that experience or to the, to the past year? Have you experienced yeah. God?
1: Yeah, I think it comes about back a little bit to what we talked about at the beginning, talking about how like our feelings tell us something, they tell us something about our soul. And so I think that's the distinction that I realized that often those feelings are telling you is when you're operating for, not from. Yeah. And so the idea is like obedience from the love of God, not for it, or from the smile of heaven, not for it, or from union with Christ, not for it, from the love of God, not for the love of God. And so it depends. It just changes. It's that small little contrast between from not for and and you're trying to decipher when you're operating out of either because I think it's so easy for us to flip back and forth constantly probably Mm -hmm. and probably more often to the bad side of doing things for it and so I think what I learned is okay if I'm feeling constant like if if the anxiety is is really high or like the the pressure is super high the stress or you just feel overwhelmed or you feel like perpetually behind or you just feel busy or like all of these things you don't feel rest you know and and basically the promises of god are not true of your life Mm -hmm. and i think often that means we're living for it not from it and so like that's the whole beauty of the gospel that's whole beauty of like of what jesus says like come to me like and i'll give you rest and so we're able to live a busy life a a stressful life but feel much more full feel less drained all the time and i think that's only possible though when you're living from the source not for the source yeah you know you're living your obedience and your desire to be obedient is from the love of god not for it because if you're for it you're just going to be drained, right? Because you're, you're giving, you're, you're pouring out all the time versus being filled up.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? And so if you're just doing things off pure willpower, like that can get you farther than we might give ourselves credit for. Like you can get a long way with willpower, but you're going to be dead after you're going to be exhausted. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's from the source and that's where like we talked about earlier like to live from the source there's sacrificial time there's there's actually giving time to god like you do have to change your life like to to live the life of jesus you have to live the lifestyle of Mm -hmm. jesus and so therefore you have to kind of take a step back and and realize like okay like it is better for my soul to spend an hour going on a walk and talking to God then to catch up on the Netflix show or to whatever. Like, you know, it's like, often we're like, oh, we don't got time for that. But then it's like, you look at your phone and you've got four hours of screen time and you're like, well, I got four hours every day to look at Instagram. I think I do have more time than I think I Yeah,
0: like
1: I'm, I'm convincing myself I'm busy when I'm actually not. And I think that's what Satan does. That's what, that's what happens is they, you know, it's like that C.S. Lewis quote that I talked about in my talk. Like, their plan is to make the world so busy and so loud and so noisy that it drowns out the voice of God. And so you have to like slow down intentionally and and change your lifestyle in order to experience that. So, oh no, I think that's what I realized. You can't just like, like to be a Christian, your lifestyle has to be different. Like obviously, I feel like people know that, but like it actually has to be different. Like you can change your whole life by an hour a day or or, like actually giving God a Sabbath. Like I know that's like not a thing that people, anymore. But like, I don't know. It's just like things like that, that change the way you experience life to live from, not for.
0: Yeah. I really, what I hear you saying is that, again, back to that whole sort of comparison of your performance versus your identity, that Mm -hmm. living for the smile is, a, is my performance requiring me to, to do certain things in certain ways so that I can get something? Whereas living from my identity in Christ, my identity as a daughter, son of God, is, is, is living from the smile because that's been conferred on me. I can't change it. God's already done it. And mm-hmm. there's so much freedom in that. And so I think what I hear you saying then is where we, we tend to make our investments in our performance, right? We spend time on yep. our performance. And yet, while while nothing can take away the identity that we have in, in Jesus and nothing can change the reality that we are children of God, putting some investment into my own sort of Ownership of that identity and living out of that identity is is a critical shift, a paradigm shift. And, and, it, and it produces some fairly radical transforma- transformational results is what I'm hearing you say. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I really like that. Gosh, I'm so proud of you and I'm so grateful that you took the time. I mean, you're on spring break right now and you gave me, you know, an hour of your time. We did we did have some technical difficulties which are my fault. So I do appreciate you hanging with me and just sharing your heart and thank you so much for giving us a little window into what God's doing in your life and hopefully we'll get to do this again sometime. Sure. So everybody, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and We'll be with you again next week with another conversation on the Relational Spirituality Podcast. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, hit the like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at largerstory.com.